0: What you want to find in a new employee is somebody who looks energetic, who's raising their hand to do a project, who is coming in a little bit early, who might be leaving a little bit late. I believe if there are five people at the table and we've done our thinking and we've done our disagreeing and we've kind of come out at the same place, that allows me to have a more informed opinion. Coming up, Ariane interviews Hearst Publishing President Kathy Black, next on Change Nation from the first 30 days. Welcome
1: to The First 30 Days. I'm Ariane, and today we're going to be speaking about The First 30 Days of Starting a New Job and Succeeding at Work. Joining me is Kathy Black. Kathy is a bit of a legend in her own right. She is often referred to as the First Lady of Magazines. She is the president of Hearst Magazines with 19 titles under her leadership – including Cosmopolitan, Good Housekeeping, and O, the Oprah magazine, just to name a few. All told, she is responsible for nearly 200 magazines in over 100 countries. Kathy is now also the best-selling author of her new book, Basic Black, The Essential Guide for Getting Ahead at Work and in Life. She is a true leader and described as honest, real, funny, and wickedly smart. She is annually part of Fortune Magazine's list of most powerful women in business, in addition to being just a wonderfully down-to-earth person. Kathy, it's a true pleasure to welcome you to the first 30 days. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So the first 30 days of starting a new job, for people listening who are either in that process, what do you think is the most important thing for them to remember as they get going on a brand new job?
0: One thing I would say is that First Impressions... Are lasting impressions. You don't have a chance to make a second impression, so that goes all the way from you know what do you wear, and you know you can look around the office or your cubicle or whatever. What are people? What do people wear? What are they wearing? This is not the first few days of any job or the first thirty days of it. Any- is not a time to make your own personal statement. You got to kind of feel the place. You have to sense the tempo. Um, so if people are casual, then that's great. You can be casual. The other thing I think that's really important is do the work. Okay, what do I mean by that? It's not about looking and saying, What's my next job here in the first 30 days? You want to do whatever your assignment is, whatever you came in there, however your job has been described, but don't think of it only in the narrowest definition of the job because you want to do the work. You want to do it well. Hopefully, you're excited about whatever it is that you are about to start off on. And an awful lot of people really don't know what they want to do. So they kind of take that first job, which is fine. But I like to say, you know, if if you like doing something, you will probably do it well. And Every once in a while somebody can just take a long shot and they find out that, gee, they really do like doing whatever the what of that is. But you're, you're wanting to do it well. You're not wanting to be a clock watcher on that first day, you don't start discussing your vacation time. You know, if you're that boss, what you want to find in a new employee is somebody who looks energetic, who's raising their hand to do a project, who is coming in a little bit early, who might be leaving a little bit late. You know, it's all a sorting out process. And so as somebody says, well, why did that person get, you know, a new project? Well, guess what? They didn't walk out the door every day at 5.01, you know, or whatever that is. So those would be just a couple of things I'd think about.
1: What sort of Personality traits do you think help someone get going in the right way, uh, be noticed by people that matter so that people
0: can get ahead and can sort of get going more quickly well i don 't think there 's only one way to be, but you know I am an optimistic, energetic I think life is good kind of person. I like people who believe that that the glass is half full, not half empty. You know, so if you're the grump in an office, you know, or if you're always looking sort of like, you know, come on, straighten up, you know, or if you're going like lethargically down the hall or you're wandering in 15 minutes late, that's pretty clear to say this, for whatever reason, this person is probably not going to be the major player on my team. And if you want to be a major player on your team, you got to say to yourself, you know, I'm not going to change this place in the first 30 days. I have to understand how does this place work? You know, it's not about what you want, it's about what they want and how can you move something forward. People who've worked for you,
1: what have you noticed mistakes that people typically make when they get going in a new job?
0: Well, I think some of the mistakes are probably that they're anxious um, and maybe they actually are saying too much. I just read something last night that was about a young woman just starting out work and she went to some dinner with a lot of executives and a man at the, end of the, at the end of the dinner said, I'm going to give you some very good advice. And I, I'm assuming they were probably 20 to 25, 15 years older than she was. The phrase was something like this. When you're around people much more senior than you and you're brand new in a job, it's a lot smarter to listen and to try to learn as opposed to spouting off your own opinions when you've only been in a position for five days or whatever exactly it was. I thought that made a lot of sense because I think what she was doing, frankly, was probably showing off and trying to be smart and trying to be articulate and having somebody sort of acknowledge her when, in fact, they really didn't care about whatever this 22-year-old was saying. I completely agree. Do you find that people
1: have certain excuses when they come into work about how Getting ahead might be harder than they think. Just myths that I'd like to sort of debunk for the people listening that are things that we, we might sort of consider are true but are in fact not true.
0: Well, I think there are some myths, uh, particularly as they apply to women. I mean, there are adjectives applied to women that are a compliment. I mean, there are negative adjectives applied to a woman that are actually compliments when they're applied to a man. Um, you know, for example, you know, are you too pushy? Are you too aggressive? Well, you know, there's a, there's a fine line. I mean, you don't have to be obnoxious about it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with being, you know, you don't have to shout, but you can be, you know, have a good, strong, confident tone of voice. Um, I say to people, um, I have this idea about where to sit at a table. And um, actually, Cosmo, which did an excerpt of the book, which was very funny, they drew a conference table and it was like dead zone, you know, and, and so this was like arrows as to where to sit and where not to sit. For example, I've heard over and over that if a quiet woman sits kind of in the corner, not at the end, but in the corner, and that she kind of tees up an idea, inevitably what happens is that no one pays attention. And about three minutes later, some guy has repackaged the idea, kind of tees it up with a strong, confident voice, and everyone goes like, hey, Charlie, that was great. And she's over here seething. So part of it is kind of how you how you present yourself. If you look like you're a player, um, as opposed to somebody that's kind of crouching down in the corner, hoping not to be recognized or asked their opinion about something. So I, again, I think, I think it's kind of beginning to understand what this job is all about. You can look around you and say like, all right, why are those people in, if you will, larger workstations or offices, you know, sit down and talk with them some night, find a mentor. You know, you don't have to have a four o'clock appointment every Monday with a mentor, but it, I mean, most people are very willing to give advice and you can say, you know, I'm brand new here and I'd like to learn more about the company, you know, or what was your first job when you started out? Um, I think that there's a lot to be said for kind of looking around. Um, I remember when I went into a very large company, when I went to USA Today and it's, um, I was a recruited when I was about a year old and I, we were so busy, always on the road, always traveling. It was very difficult. I never really built a support group inside the organization. I was an outsider coming in. I hired a lot of people. We were the advertising sales team. So we were like very clear about our mission and what we had to do. But there's a lot to be said for understanding that every company has its politics. It has its jokes, if you will. If you take the time to sort of get to know people who've been there for a while That's going to help this transition period for you in those first 30 days of, you know, saying to somebody, could I have a cup of coffee with you? You know, tell me about, you know, I don't mean it from the gossip standpoint, but it's just kind of understanding the dynamics of something. One of the things I read in the book,
1: you speak a lot about fear Mm. and overcoming fear and how fear is not necessarily something that's bad, but you can use it sort of to your advantage. For people who fear speaking up, Fear sharing their ideas, fear asking
0: for feedback, fear asking for a mentor. Any quick tips? Well, I think that the quick part of it is you have to know yourself. And if you can break down fear, for example, why am I afraid of speaking up? Do I think I'm not smart? Do I think I don't know as much as the other people do? And if that's the case, then how do you really work on that? You know, if you're afraid of giving a presentation, there are many places that you can go to and learn how to give a more effective presentation, rehearsing in advance, looking in a mirror in advance. I mean, some of these things probably sound sort of like, you know, that's ridiculous. It isn't ridiculous. You know, I never go into a speech when I haven't really thought about what I want to say. So part of it is about being prepared. If you feel prepared, if you feel confident about whatever you're presenting, your ideas, a meeting, a a bigger thing, a more formal thing, but if you really feel like you know your stuff, you're going to look like it. I think another thing is, you know, figure out what are you going to wear? You know, if you're trying to impress people, well, think about your wardrobe the night before. Don't just go crashing through. Get to a place early. There's nothing worse that can take your confidence away than being like five minutes late and you're in traffic and you can't get through the security guard. You can't remember the floor number. The AV isn't quite working. There is no excuse for that. You know, you just need to give yourself extra time because if you give yourself extra time, you can go to a restroom, you can refresh yourself, comb your hair. You're in the room before other people start coming in. There's nothing worse than trying to sort of organize a conference room. You've got presentations or materials or or your laptop, and all of a sudden the attendees are starting to wander into the room at 5 minutes of 10. If you'd been there at 9.35, you'd be looking orderly, you'd be looking composed, and then you're in charge. You're not like scurrying around like a little furry animal at the end, just being frantic. So part of it is really trying to think through being prepared and how can I really be prepared.
1: Very well said. Any thoughts on what it takes to be a powerful person in the workplace? What is is the new definition of what that means? What does it look like? What does it feel like?
0: You know, I think for a, former, uh, for a prior generation, power was about the perquisites of the job. Did you have a car and driver? Did you have a corner office? Did you fly first class? You know, things like the, the, the sort of uh, things you could tick off, if you will. What I like to say is I know I have a powerful job. There are 2,000 people who depend on my leadership of this company. But it's not really about power. I, I've never gone into a job for power. What I know is that I have a powerful job, but I take that as a responsibility. So I don't think it's the sort of dictatorial, hierarchical power thing that existed in another generation. In fact, I think there are a lot of... um, attributes in the female personality that are very much in line with how the world is today. You know, consensus building. It's not at all that I'm afraid of making a decision, but I believe if there are five people at the table and we've done our thinking and we've done our disagreeing and we've kind of come out at the same place, that makes that allows me to have a more informed opinion. So it's not just about the power trip. Um, you know, are there times when I feel like something is very glamorous and it's very exciting? Yes. But it's not really what motivates me. I don't think, you know, if you're seeking power, it doesn't really mean that you want to make a business better or you want to create a great team. I mean, it is the people that make things happen. It's not just the product. Can you think back in your career to someone
1: who worked for you who you just absolutely loved, adored, would have taken with you to any and every job that you went on to. Without saying who that was, what
0: was that person like? Well, I'll, I'll tell you actually, it's a, it's a true story. She'd love to hear this. Um, when I was at New York Magazine, there was a very bright woman in the promotion department. At the time, her name was Wenda Harris. And I said to Wenda, you know, Wenda, you've got just a great right brain and left brain going for you. Why don't you think of sales? I was at New York Magazine. And she said, oh, I don't think I have a sales personality. I don't think I have a sales person." I said, Wenda, trust me, you really do. So we moved her into sales. She was fantastic. She left after a year and a half to get her Harvard MBA, and, but was always very entrepreneurial. Had a couple of other jobs in the trade side of advertising and marketing. Was, the, I think, the 13th employee at DoubleClick made a bundle at DoubleClick, then was recruited by Terry Semmel at Yahoo, where she spent, I don't know, five or six or seven years. She's now back at Martha Stewart. And I think back to that time, when I said, well, now we joke about it. I mean, if she, she refers to me as a mentor. You know, I've, I've joked about saying, you know, remember, you were so hesitant to go into sales. And she put Yahoo on the map in terms of advertising and marketing. So I feel, you know, it's been a great and warm relationship. But certainly when I met the head of communications here at Hearst, back when I was in my old job, she came in to tell me one day, that she was resigning. Then there's a person who's now in charge of communications for the Hearst Corporation, with whom I've now worked for probably almost 14 years. She came in to me in a prior job to resign. And I said, Well, Deb, here's something that you don't know. I said, Actually, you're moving to New York. And she said, Have looked at me she said, What are you talking about? She said, I'm going to the National Historic Trust. I said, No, you can't do that. I said, What you don't know is that I'm joining the Hearst Corporation, to run their magazine division the first of the year. It was now like the middle of November. And I said, within a month or so, I want you to come up and run communications for the magazine division. And so we've been glued at the hip. She brought one of her colleagues who's been a phenomenal head of public relations for the corporation and the magazine division. And I mean, she could could take a mountain anywhere she goes. So I think you absolutely do have to find people who will take that mountain with you if you're a take the mountain kind of person. I love the other term
1: that you refer to, which is the 360
0: life. Where did the term come
1: from? How did it inspire you? And how do people figure out if they have a 180 life, a 270 life, or a 360 life? How does that work? That's a great question.
0: What I believe in, as I wrote um, Basic Black... I never talk about sacrifices. I really talk about choices. And I think that most women, unless they're just unbelievable at age 16 and know what they want to do, but let's face it, most people don't, or men is at the same time, it's about 28 or 29 when I think someone begins to really think about what kind of professional life and what kind of life do I want? How much do I want? The proverbial, can I have it all? Do I want kids? Do I want a spouse? Um, how far do I want to go in my business? Do I want to travel? All those kinds of things, which I thought were very exciting. I mean, I wanted more, more, more. I love the excitement of all of the diversity of, of the jobs that I had, but I was sort of dealing with those kinds of choices as well. So as I have matured and as I thought about this book, what I want to say is, and this is not original, but you can love your job, but your job will not love you back. So at a particular time, I mean, you know, let's say 30, early 30s, whatever, you begin to say, okay, I have, I love what I do professionally, but I also want another part of my life. It doesn't necessarily mean that a person has to be in the other part of your life, but it's really about indulging and making time and taking time for those other parts so that as you move along the job ladder uh, or career ladder, that you do have people to share it with, that you do take time to travel, that you see movies and go to restaurants. I mean, Spend time with your family. Spend time with your kids. I mean, that's what it's all about. So that at the end of, the, of one's life, you're not saying, gee, I wish I had spent more time at the office. Most people really don't want to say that. But if you think that, you know, you just can't take that time to do it, you have to make the time to do it.
1: Kathy, would you say that it's too much of a generalization that most people do go through tough times in their jobs and in their careers?
0: Absolutely. And to expect that and to navigate that? That's a it's another great question. Absolutely. I mean there are jobs that are just plain, not gonna work out. What I say to that is that's okay. You know, there are other jobs everywhere. There is no point somebody said that if we work full time from twenty-two to about sixty-five, you will work 90,000 hours. How pathetic and how sad that if you spend two or three years in a place where you're not valued, where no one appreciates you, or whether you have just a real tough SOB boss. You know, I want to say that, you, you know, you can move on from that. I mean, some people don't mind being tortured. Well, that's their own sort of, you know, personality. But I say move on. Life is short And you can find a place where you're going to be appreciated and acknowledged and you'll probably do a much better job. Kathy, in your career and the people that you've mentored, do you see
1: the importance of having a plan and a destination as to where you're going? Or is it a combination of letting life in and letting luck in and
0: seeing who you meet
1: along the way? Where's
0: the correct balance between that? You know, I think balance shifts. I think you can start of start out with a plan. But I think for most people in those first jobs, it's very sequential. You know, it's like you get into a job, you're there for a while, you kind of get it under control, you kind of know what's expected, you know how to succeed in that job. And then you say, well, gee, you know what, I think I might be as good as my boss. And you start thinking, well, how would I have to, you know, what would I have to do? Or you ask for a transfer or a project or give you a European assignment or a global assignment or something like that. So I don't know that you have to like write out a five-year plan. I mean, the world is swirling so much today, but it does make sense at the beginning of a year to say, what are my goals for this year? And you can break them down into six-month increments. At the very least, it gives you like a little measurement tool. You might say, you know, I got two of the six or I got four of the six. Or you know what? I was unrealistic. I didn't get any of them. And then you kind of want to reassess. So I think it can really kind of shift as you move along. You know, it, it's, and again, it's not only a title. In the magazine business, somebody might want to be an editor, you know, or an editor-in-chief or a publisher or the head of public relations. If you say, that's what I want to do, then you have to think it out. And you say, all right, here are the steps that I probably have to take that are going to help me be positioned to get into that next role.
1: What do you find men can learn from women and women can learn from men in terms of getting ahead both at work and in life?
0: Well, one of the things that I say about men, and I'm I'm half facetious about it, but women tend to hang on to their mistakes. They just, it's like they have a hair shirt on. They're like beating themselves for making a mistake. And I jokingly say, you know what? A man forgets it, moves on, and frankly blames it on somebody else within moments. And, you know, it's really true. I don't literally mean the blame part necessarily, but they don't get stuck. You know, I think women were trained as young girls. We wanted to be liked. We wanted to be loved. We wanted to be appreciated. And, you know, it's like, give it up. Just move forward. It's about going forward. It is not about dwelling on what didn't work well. Or I love to talk about grudges. You know, some people like just enjoy a grudge. And you want to say, "What? why? You know, you want to expand your life experiences. You want to let the light in and the luck in. Holding on to a grudge about what somebody did or the personal affronts. I say, you know, don't take things personally. You know, often... Somebody will say like, well, they didn't invite me out to lunch, or I didn't get invited to that meeting. I'll say, you didn't get invited to that meeting? Go to the meeting. Well, I wasn't invited. So what? Nobody knows that you weren't invited if you really feel like you should be there. And somebody might even not have been thinking as the three people walk down the hall to lunch. And if you care enough about it, say, can I join you? I mean, what are they going to say? Yes or no? So it's, just, it's like putting yourself out a little bit. Kathy, one of the things that I love about
1: your book, Basic Black, is it's full of wonderful anecdotal stories and inspirational advice, but really through the art of some stories that have happened to you. I'm curious if you have any memorable stories of you starting a new job, anything that really pops well, into my what, mind.
0: What, what you know, just pops in my mind right away, and I, the book, Basic Black, talks about a lot of mistakes that I made along the way, because we do learn from other people's mistakes. One of them was very little. Um, I had decided that I wanted to um, uh, start interviewing for a new job, and so I decided that I was going to improve my resume. So I literally redid my resume, and I left it on the uh, copying machine. Of course, I didn't know that. So the next morning, this male voice is on the other end of the phone. He reads me my resume, and I could feel my face just turning Beat Red, and he was very nice. He started chuckling. He was the CFO of the company. I didn't even know what CFO meant at that time, the chief financial officer. But he said, you know, Miss Black, the next time you're redoing your resume, I suggest you don't leave the original on the copying machine. And you go like, oh, you jerk. You know, but in the first thirty days, you kind of want to be like, keep your keep your head above the water, but you don't want to be on everybody's radar screen. Because you don't want to make some stupid blunder right away. You can recover from blunders, just don't make two, you know, right away. So I don't think I've made a a huge blunder the first 30 days of a job. But you want to figure out, all right, how are the things that can protect me from making that blunder? So a lot of it is like keeping your eyes open and your kind of fingers on the pulse of where a place is going and remembering just try to do the best job that you can.
1: And I guess if you do make a blunder, there's always a way of recovering as well. Yeah,
0: You can recover and you can apologize, but it's not like don't five times apologize as though it's the end of the world. Everybody has made a mistake and it's just, you know, you say, gee, I'm really sorry that I did that and it won't happen again. And you make sure it doesn't happen again.
1: Kathy, the way that we end our uh, interviews here at The First 30 Days is we ask all our experts three signature questions, and they're the same questions we ask of everyone pretty much across any life change. So here they are. What is the belief that you personally go to during times of change?
0: The belief that I go to in times of change is to be centered. And if it's a time of really terrible change or or a real problem, um, I want to center myself So that the people who are watching me for signals are seeing somebody who knows where she is going. Because people will come with you and they will follow you if they feel as though that really is the right decision. But in a time of change, I mean, I'm in the media business today. I mean, nothing could be changing more radically every day. And what I want to say to people is, you know, keep your kimono open to change. Don't be terrified by change. You've got to go with it. And you might find that it's very exciting. And I have always found change exciting. So it's about don't be terrified. Don't get stuck. Because if you get stuck, you won't move forward.
1: I think you've answered my second question. Fill in this sentence. The best thing about change is? It'll take you to
0: a new place. And The final question is, what is the best change that you've ever made? I've made several changes. But the best change that I made professionally um, was when I gave up a very secure job, uh, publisher of New York Magazine, to take a chance on this huge, high-flying startup called USA Today. It changed my professional aspirations gigantically, um, and it put me on a national stage. I learned a tremendous amount. I'd never been in newspapers before, and the the fun and the challenge and the joy of understanding that the contribution that you made and your team made really helped this newspaper succeed was uh, incredible. Um, The other thing I guess I would say is the launch of the Oprah Winfrey magazine has been uh, a really now um, more than eight years old. The magazine is seven. We started it eight years ago. was a thrill. I mean, the chance to know Oprah Winfrey and to create this very special magazine has been a thrill.
1: And we love that magazine because they featured us uh, in January of last year. Yeah, Kathy, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for your time, your insights, your wisdom. We've been speaking with Kathy Black, president of Hearst Magazines, author of the wonderful book Basic Black, the essential guide for getting ahead at work and in life. I'm Ariane. Thank you for listening. And of course, for more interviews with our Change Masters, come to visit us at first30days.com.